Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it. A lot to talk about today. I want to talk weather for just a moment. We know some of the very dry areas. uh, There have been uh, reports of some uh, varying amounts of rainfall, but some of the dry areas getting some. Obviously not enough to make up for the uh, drought conditions many are experiencing, but at least some temporary relief for some areas. We'll continue to watch that and market reaction to that. DTN's lead analyst Todd Holtman will join us to talk about these weather markets. Uh, There's been a lot of news uh, lately for the biofuels industry. Not much of it really positive, but it's not all negative. We'll break it all down with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, after the Supreme Court ruling uh, went against them on RFS waivers. Then you have an appellate court ruling uh, against allowing E15 sales year-round, so we'll get reaction from Jeff on that. There's also an interesting study out uh, uh, about the health aspects of and the health benefits of using ethanol. I want to talk about that. And we have some big numbers out on our meat exports. We'll talk with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. So all that coming up. But we'll start it off with DTN reporter Todd Needley with a look at the news. Todd, thank you for joining us. Uh, Been a rough couple weeks for the biofuels industry, hasn't it? Yeah, Mike, you know, it's uh, it really is. Some of the stuff I I don't think a lot of people saw coming, but... um, yeah, here we are, and I think uh, you know there's a lot of lot of big questions out there about how we're gonna go from here, and we'll, I guess we'll find out in the coming weeks and months. But yeah, it's been a tough time. Meanwhile, we continue to watch uh, several fronts here from Washington D.C. and the Biden administration. The it seems like they are proposing to get into a lot of different areas, but we. We see a lot of proposals. We haven't seen a lot of action yet or, or results. We'll see what happens. But the latest, the president is planning to direct the Ag Department to take action to uh, address the uh, what has been a somewhat controversial at times area of enabling farmers to repair their own machinery. This has kind of been a battle, an ongoing dispute between uh, some farmers and, uh, of course, some of the equipment manufacturers uh, what do you think of the uh, the government stepping into this? Yeah, you know, Mike, it's interesting. You're right. This has been kind of an ongoing problem, and a lot of farmers have wanted over the years to to make you know repairs or take their equipment to certain uh, to different places to have it done. You know, and there's always been something in the way. It's always been uh, you know companies that that own that sold the equipment have proprietary equipment to be able to you know, diagnose problems and that sort of thing. And I think, um, I don't know that an executive order is going to really change that. I mean, I suppose that it, uh, you know, it might put some pressure on, on some of these equipment companies to change what they're doing. Um, but it, it's really, uh, you know, whether the government can, can come in on this at this point in time and, and uh, you know, maybe kind of direct things and, and uh, you know, make decisions and that sort of thing. I, I don't see that this is really going to, uh, make a whole lot of difference, although, you know, I think it's probably raising some attention on some, some critical issues, and perhaps, you know, maybe that's where a lot of the change starts. 
Yeah, we'll see. Uh, yeah, I have questions about it, too, what, how effective the government can be in this. We will see. Also, they are, uh, uh, they've announced uh, that they're going to do this complete review on, on meat labels. And, well, that's been another controversial topic. And you've got a lot of different uh, people wanting different things, uh, supposedly the same goal, but approaching it different ways. It'll be interesting to see this top-to-bottom review they're talking about it and what comes out of that. Yeah, you're right, Mike. Again, this is another very complicated issue. It's something that, you know, we've not really gotten a handle on as to what uh, what these these labels really should be, what they are, what they, you know, what they represent. Um, you know, it's it's probably worth a review. I mean, I, I don't think that anything negative could come from an executive order on this necessarily. Uh, perhaps this is going to get the USDA going in a direction that maybe it's needed to go for a while. Um, you know, again, I, I don't know that the top to bottom reviews, uh, necessarily, you know, it's going to really result in anything of, of any great substance, but, um, you know, it's not a bad thing to really look at this. And I, I think it, you know, there's a lot of positives that can come from it. You know, maybe, maybe it leads to something that's, that's much bigger. You know, maybe we have some changes that are, are much needed to be implemented. Um, but yeah, again, it, you know, this is an executive order, you know, USDA is, going to review it. I mean, USDA reviews a lot of things every year. And so uh, I guess we'll just see. Yeah, I'm hopeful something good's going to come from this because we need a better label, that's for sure. But it's just going to be hard to please everybody in this. Well, you won't please right. everybody in it. And and I don't know, I get leery of, of government investigations and reviews. They seem to take forever and not a whole lot comes out of them a lot of times. Maybe this one will be different. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's I, I'm with you. I think, uh, you know, that sometimes and most of the time, I should say, the, the best solutions are in the private sector. They're, you know, they're worked out by industry. They're, uh, you know, they're implemented by industry. And I, and I think really, ultimately, that's where anything, you know, that we've been discussing here is going to come. Any solutions are going to come. Also, we're looking at spending bills, the House spending bill, uh, not surprisingly, making climate action a priority. Ag research would also get a significant boost, although less than what the president had proposed in his budget. So we'll see as these spending bills make their way through the uh, legislative process uh, what the final outcome will be. Yeah, and you know, it's, uh, you're right. These are, these are some big issues, and we've, we've needed an emphasis on ag research for quite some time, and that's one area I think that uh, a lot of people will be watching closely. You know, whether the dollars go where they need to go, I guess that's another story. Um, but certainly we, we need to have more ag research. There's a lot of, a lot of big issues that flow through research, and, um, you know, it's good. Again, it's good to see these discussions being had, but... Uh, you know, these things change from administration to administration, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, someone will have, uh, you know, both sides will come out and say this is enough or this isn't enough, and I guess we'll just see where it goes from there. Yeah, I think you hit on the key. Do the dollars get where they need to get to? That's <laughs> always the big question. And uh, meanwhile, we wait on this infrastructure bill, too. We, we hear about some bipartisan efforts to get something through, but uh, we're still waiting. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the dollar amounts have been, you know, staggering. I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, from the Biden administration, you know, over a trillion dollars possible in terms of spending. But again, uh, you know, I think one of the things that come up is, you know, where dollars will go. I mean, will it get to these rural areas that are most needed? 
um, or will it end up in areas that, you know, I'm not saying it's not needed in other areas, but obviously um, you have to really take a look at where the, the spending actually occurs. And I think that's the thing that you know, whatever comes out of this debate in Washington, I think a lot of people in rural America need to really look at where those dollars are going, you know, whether they're going to go to broadband here, whether they're, uh, you know, roads and bridges in some of these rural areas that are just, uh, you know, been devastated by weather and so on. Uh, I guess we just wait and watch. Yeah, so far we have more proposals than we have results. We're still waiting on results. We will see. Todd, good to talk with you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Mike. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Up next, we take a look at these weather markets. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Krista Harden, President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. We know it was challenging to be able to do much uh, market development work during the pandemic, and as we are coming out of it to varying degrees around the world, how is that going now in, in getting back up and going again in some of these markets? We had to really think about how we're going to do things differently. Um, we not, are not going to trade shows. We're not having the you know face-to-face, getting to know, building that trust, working on that reputation. So all of us, I think, in the industry and across agriculture really had to think differently. I'm pretty proud of how quickly we changed and started working with folks, some of us with Zoom, some of us with other types of you know, cooking demonstration programs, working with students, culinary students, doing our programs, developing partnerships um, in a virtual way, but being constant. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. 
This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we are dealing with weather markets for sure. Let's talk about them with Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN. Todd, good to talk with you. Uh, We noted earlier in the program that uh, several parts of the country that have been very dry got some rain, varying amounts, not enough to make up for all the shortfalls, but uh, in certain areas it it certainly has helped. It's been welcome. Yeah, absolutely. It looks like overnight eastern South Dakota and Minnesota uh, got some beneficial rains, and boy, you know, anything to help kind of buy you some time and limp through the year here, uh, especially for soybeans, uh, where they've got time to have uh, even better rains help the crop, that that all helps. And as, as dire a situation as the Dakotas and Minnesota are right now in terms of uh, dry soils and, and needing rain, every little bit helps. And uh, it was certainly encouraging to get some over the weekend and last night. How do markets during a weather market like this, how do traders view that? I mean, do they just see rain and think, oh, everything's fine, or do they realize it's not enough? You know, I think they get emotional about it, to be honest. Uh, We had, and I think I mentioned this, uh, one of the last times we spoke, Mike, was that, you know, you can go home on Friday with a dry forecast, and then when you come back after the weekend, you're facing a wet forecast, and that's exactly what we saw over the 4th of July weekend. So that kind of slap in the face early Tuesday morning of a wet forecast in front of us uh, just, I, I think, hit a lot of reset buttons on, on uh, the selling, uh, especially in November soybeans. I think it was overdone because we still have a very tight situation there. But it, it's, it's kind of shoot first and then think about it and aim later. And that's kind of the typical MO of the market. What do you make of the crop condition numbers this week? And certainly uh, they're often almost out of date by the time they, they come out in many cases <laughs> and because conditions are changing as they have uh, uh, this, uh, you know, the last few days with the rains and things. But what did you make of the ratings? Yeah, well, uh, you're right. Even before this crop progress report came out, uh, I, I mentioned to one of our coworkers that, you know, this thing's irrelevant with the forecast that we have in front of us. But it was a good snapshot of just how dry things have become uh, ahead of this rain. And obviously the, the isolated areas, the Dakotas and Minnesota are a key part of uh, the crop this year that needs more moisture help. Um, apart from that, really the, the crop conditions are doing fairly well. Now, Iowa and Illinois are a little lower than uh, they would normally sit. Uh, I would think, but uh, obviously they're in line for a lot of rain this week. I think my concern moving forward is, say, Illinois and East, uh, there may be uh, issues of too much rain here in the forecast. While we contend with drier conditions uh, after this this week of rain, uh, we we go back to that diagonal split of haves in the northwest and have-nots, or excuse me, have-nots in the northwest, and uh, halves in the eastern Midwest, but if if that doesn't that rain doesn't let up and and uh, give those fields time to breathe a little bit in the eastern Midwest, they're going to find themselves with a little problem. 
Yeah, it's it's all over the place. I mean, you you talked about Illinois. Uh, Central Illinois uh, looks a lot better than say northern or southern Illinois. I mean, it just it just how these rains have been moving, or or who's getting them and who's not at all. Uh, so I guess the question, and we we go through this every year, but uh, especially in a year like this, do the good areas overcome the losses in the bad areas? I would say normally the answer would be yes if we had a 2 billion bushel carryout in corn, but we don't. We're down closer to 1 billion bushels. And for that reason, it's very difficult for the good areas to make up for the areas that are short, especially with uh, subsoil as depleted as it is in the Dakotas uh, and, and part of Minnesota right now. So um it, it's just too tight of a supply situation this year for the good areas to make up for the bad areas. In the case of corn, I think it's, no matter how it turns out, I think it's going to be tough to produce more than 15 billion bushels this year. And that leaves our ending supply of corn, maybe 200 million bushels, maybe 300 million bushels higher than the current season. But it's, it's hard to see more than that, the way things are, are dividing out right now. I think that's a good point. While we don't know the end numbers, obviously, and we're just in the first week of July, I mean, it's it's obvious that with the weather challenges we've already had, uh, that you're not going to hit the, that record crop. It's just a matter of, you know, how good can a good crop be, right? Yes. And obviously, there are some states that look fantastic right now. My home state of Nebraska is, is sitting in great territory. And in fact, I uh, uh, drove just a week ago from South Dakota down to Omaha, and you could almost visibly see the split in the moisture difference once you got mm-hmm. south of Sioux City. It was, it's uh, just kind of uh, amazing how stark the contrast is uh, from one state to the other there. Yeah, it's hard not to to judge a whole crop, uh, the whole country's crop, by what you see out your, your back door, right? I mean, <laughs> you're so, you're so uh, uh, that is so ingrained in your mind, what you're seeing right in front of you. It's hard to imagine it's different somewhere else. But, you know, when these areas that are so dry, as I, I hear farmers have said for years and years, and many are saying again now, doesn't matter how high the prices are if you don't have anything to sell, right? So some of those farmers are really faced with a tough, uh, tough year. Yes, absolutely. And quite frankly, I think uh, a lot that got in on the beneficial rain and will this week are uh, very gladly to give up a dollar or so in price just to just to have a much better uh, crop outlook. Uh, you know, that that's just the way it is. As you say, you got to have a crop first and uh, then you'll worry about price later. We're talking with DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. Todd, we're watching that safrina crop, uh, corn crop in South America. It's it's certainly had its challenges too, and and still facing some, uh, you know, real tough weather. It makes that crop look smaller and smaller. Yes, we thought it was going to be over four and a half billion bushels when this whole thing started. Now we're down to around three and a half billion bushels, or somewhere around ninety million metric tons. So they they've had just an awful year. It seems like as soon as they got the uh, crop planted, the rain shut off and has not turned up yet. And then just recently they got the sub-freezing temperatures in the southern areas causing even more damage. So it's it's about as bad as things could get for uh, Brazil this year. And, you know, we just have to say that that leaves the U.S. in a very good export position for the next 12 or 13 months ahead. 
So while we're in a choppy weather market, and that's volatility that goes up and down, it still sounds like what we're saying here, the fundamentals are supportive for prices moving forward. Best I can tell, yes. And uh, I'm always keeping my eye on China's corn price. They're still expensive, above $10 a bushel. They seem to be uh, holding firm there. There's no sign that uh, China's getting saturated with either corn or soybeans at the moment. Uh, and in fact, our, our price is starting to get more competitive with Brazil's soybean price uh, in that situation there, which alarms me a little bit because it's still pretty early in the summer for that to happen. We're about 23 cents above Brazil's FOB price right now, which uh, projects us to possibly getting uh, more business from China uh, in August, but certainly in, in the fall months, and we've already seen some of those new crop purchases come through. I think the soybean crop's going to be interesting here. I mean, it it got off to such a slow start. It's going to be interesting to see where we wind up with it. Yeah, it, it wasn't that long ago. We had a very uh, dry situation in South Dakota. I believe it was 2017 or 18. And uh, they came through with timely rains in August and had a very good soybean crop. So that's, that's still possible. We can't rule out soybeans yet. But at the moment, I think it's uh, given the limitations we have of soybean acres this year, I think it's mm-hmm. definitely going to be hard to get more than 4.5 billion bushels, but probably $4.4 billion is more likely. Yeah, we'll see. Soybeans are tough, and they they pull out when you don't sometimes think they can, but they do. So we'll see. But you say, as you point out, those acres are not as high as we thought they might have been. All right, Todd, it's going to be interesting. Thanks a lot. We'll stay in touch. Very good. Thanks, Mike. Take care. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. Well, as we've been saying, it's been a rough couple of weeks for the biofuels industry. The Supreme Court ruling against uh uh, the on the RFS waiver issue went against uh, the biofuels industry. Now an appellate court ruling against allowing E15 sales year-round. It's not all bad news, but uh, you know, it's not the best of times either. We're going to break it all down with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. He's coming up next. His reaction to these rulings and where does the industry go from here what are the bright spots that are out there and there there are some out there we'll talk with him about that next stay with us you're listening to aoa Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. A gentle breeze blows across your face as you take a refreshing sip of water, appreciating the stillness of another morning fishing on the lake. The distant gurgle of a stream reminds you of days spent playing in the creek, the cool, clear water rushing between your toes. You love this time with nature, the feeling of putting everything on hold to connect with the world around you. Now, imagine it's all gone. No fish, no lake, no water. One of life's most vital resources, irreplaceably depleted. Time is running out to protect fresh water, and without our love, it can and will disappear. It's our choice. Love it 
or lose it. Help protect our fresh water. Visit World Wildlife Fund at wwf.org love. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rall. In regards to supply, the Brazilian corn crop has declined, but this reduction has mostly been considered already by traders. On the other supply leg, the U.S. corn crop was planted, and we've had weather scares, but right now the forecasts are bringing enough rain to most areas to keep the crop going as pollination begins. On the Board of Trade this morning, row crops are mixed. September corn trading 10 and a fraction lower at 541 and a fraction. The December contract down 11 and 3 quarters at 528. For soybeans, the August contract up 14 at 13.58 and three quarters. The September contract up 13 and three quarters at 13.26 and a half cent. For wheat, Chicago wheat September down three and three quarters at 6.22 and a fraction. Kansas City wheat September down a fraction at 5.83 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat September up 11 and a half cent at 8.04 and three quarters. The December contract up nine and a fraction at 7.9 and a half cent. Live cattle futures are expected to remain sideways Wednesday with little fundamental reason to push higher. The market was not tested Tuesday, leaving traders guessing as to market strength. Box beef prices were able to moderate to some degree Tuesday with choice cuts up $1.24, while select cuts declined $1.10. For live cattle on the board of trade this morning, the August contract down 47 at 121.92, the October contract down 40 at 127.75. For feeders, August up 10 cents at 160.72, September up 2 at 162.75. For lean hogs, the August contract down 75 at 101.60, October up 30 at 84.75. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 246 points, the Nasdaq composite down 35, the S&P 500 down 14, crude oil in New York, the August contract down $1.62 at 73.54 per barrel, the U.S. dollar index is... So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track, no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we're joined by Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for joining us. You've had some uh, setbacks in the courts uh, from the Supreme Court and Appellate Court on waivers and now on E15 year-round sales. Setbacks, but uh, I know that while disappointed, the news isn't all bad. First, give us your assessment of where we're at after these rulings and uh, your outlook for the industry now moving forward. 
Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. And and I think setback is is exactly the the, the right way to describe uh, these two recent court cases and and the decisions we've gotten out of the Supreme Court and then most recently out of the D.C. Circuit on E15. Obviously, very disappointed in these rulings, and they definitely are setbacks. But but this battle is far from over, uh, and we're certainly not throwing in the towel here. Uh, and the good news on the E15 ruling is this decision doesn't change anything for retailers who are currently selling E15 this summer. They don't have to do anything different for now. Uh, the D.C. Circuit essentially put a stay on its ruling uh, and said we are going to you know, really hit the pause button on, this, on enforcing this ruling until any rehearing petitions are filed and, and decided. And that could be late August, could be early September before that happens. And by then, we're, we're through the summer and, and done with the RVP control season. So we certainly expect there's going to be a request or possibly multiple requests for a rehearing in the D.C. Circuit and potentially an appeal to the Supreme Court. And that deadline isn't until September 30th. So, again, the good news is we don't expect uh, the court decision on E15 to have any impact on gallons sold this summer and the retailer's ability to sell E15 uh, through the middle of September. But as you're out working with retailers to try to get E15 more available to motorists, will this make some retailers leery to make that switch, make that investment in E15 until they see something more final on this? Yeah, it it, it absolutely does. And and that's, you know, like I said, we, we should be okay for, for this summer and, and, and existing retailers. But then the question becomes, what about next summer and every summer after that? Um, and what about those retailers who have sort of been standing on the sidelines awaiting this ruling? I mean, we, we've made tremendous progress on E15 over the past few years since we've been able to sell the, the fuel year-round. Uh, we're up to about 2,500 stations selling E15. We had hundreds more in the hopper and, and ready to go, putting in an infrastructure. We've, we've heard from major retail chains that are kind of in wait-and-see mode and, and had their toe in the water. Uh, and this does, this ruling sort of hits the pause button on that until there's more clarity around, you know, what happens next summer. And so we basically have 12 months to get this ruling overturned or to get a legislative fix or figure out some regulatory workarounds. And, and we think there are some things EPA can do to establish RVP parity for E15. And we think there's some things state governments can do uh, to help uh, work around this as well. So we're going to be really busy in the next 12 months to make sure that by this time next year, uh, retailers are able to continue selling E15 unencumbered through the summer months. Talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. So it's not all bad, but I, as I wrote recently in a commentary, these two rulings, the Supreme Court ruling basically made it easier for refiners to not have to follow the law, which is the RFS, mm -hmm. and the appellate ruling uh, made it harder for motorists perhaps to get the uh, the biofuels of choice that uh, they would otherwise be able to get. So both rulings seem to have just, while not final and doesn't end things, it makes it harder, it seems to me, for the biofuels industry to move forward. I mean, yeah, this industry, is, you've overcome so much in, in, in its history. Uh, so I know, I know it can keep overcoming, but it just, these, these are roadblocks that you, that you have to overcome again. 
<laughs> that's that's exactly the way we we see it, Mike. Is you know we we will pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off and and keep moving forward. Um, but but good golly, it would be nice to get um, get a few breaks now and then. And and both of these court decisions do erect some new roadblocks. We'll figure out how to get past them. Uh, but it's going to take time. It's going to take more money. It's going to take more blood, sweat, and tears from the industry. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, both of these decisions really seem at odds with exactly what this administration is trying to do uh, and, and seem at odds with what consumers are demanding more and more, which is cleaner, lower cost, lower emissions, lower carbon fuels. And, and that's what ethanol is. You know, E15 is a lower cost fuel. It's a higher octane, more efficient fuel lower greenhouse gas emissions, lower volatility than E10, which is the real irony in this whole thing. So it's a better fuel in every respect, and, and we think EPA knows that. We think automakers know that. We you know, would like to think the enviros know that. So um, it's just a matter of, of getting our ducks in a row and negotiating some of these new roadblocks, uh, but we, we, we do still expect that the future is bright for this industry. Now we wait for those RVO levels from EPA. What are you expecting there? Yeah, well, you know, the ball is in EPA's court on a lot of these matters. Um, we, we really need to hear from EPA on how they intend to move forward in the wake of the Supreme Court ruling on small refinery exemptions. It would be great to hear an official statement from EPA on this E15 decision um, and, and some assurance from EPA that they're not going to, you know, try and implement this court's decision anytime this summer. Uh, and then, like you said, we, we have been waiting on uh, the RVO volumes for 2021 and 2022. We're, we're you know, well, well into 2021, halfway into the year, and we still don't have those volumes. Uh, so a lot of uh, waiting is going on with things that uh, we're expecting to see from EPA very soon and, and hopeful that the agency uh, starts cranking some of these things out. Uh, let's talk some positive news. A, a study out uh, showing another health benefit to using ethanol. Tell us about that. Yeah, Mike, uh, just earlier this week, the Hormel Institute in Minnesota, which is affiliated with the University of Minnesota, also affiliated with the Mayo Clinic, um, along with the University of Illinois Chicago, uh, published in a scientific journal, a health journal, uh, a study that shows that if you add ethanol to gasoline, it reduces the, the likelihood uh, that the emissions from combusting that fuel um, are going to cause uh, cancer. And, and, you know, I think that's something we have always suspected in the ethanol industry. Um, it's something we've talked about a lot. Uh, but now you've got lots of scientific evidence. This is basically a review of all the studies out there. Uh, and, and now you've got that scientific evidence and backing to support the, the claim that, yes, um, replacing aromatics in gasoline with ethanol reduces the occurrence of those cancer-causing emissions uh, from gasoline. So, you know, it's a great study to have out there. And, again, we think it plays right into this administration's objectives, this EPA's objectives, um, in cleaning up our fuels. And so we, we hope to put that study and that information in front of uh, uh, policymakers and, and regulators in D.C., yeah, we will soon see, I think, and as you said, the ball's in the EPA's court, which is, means it's in the administration's court. If, yep. if they want to achieve these climate goals that they keep talking about, biofuels offers them a way to do it sooner and quicker because it's already here and available and doing it. 
uh, how much are they going to embrace it? Are, are we finally going to see our federal government get fully behind biofuels? We've never really seen them fully behind it, have we? Uh, here's no. a chance to do so. Yeah, that's right. I think the last time we saw someone in government fully behind biofuels, it was President George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's really been since then uh, that we've had sort of lukewarm support or tacit support um, from from different uh, administrations and, and EPA administrators. We do think that we have a real opportunity uh, for this administration to fully embrace uh, and, and really optimize the use of renewable fuels moving forward for exactly the reasons you mentioned, Mike. Um, this, this fits perfectly into their agenda to clean up our nation's uh, motor fuels and, and reduce the carbon impacts of those fuels. We know and, and they know that we're not going to electrify 270 million light-duty vehicles overnight and, and that they you know, need to be looking at shorter-term solutions for uh, reducing the greenhouse gas emissions from transportation. So we keep pushing that message. You know, we have uh, been very uh, encouraged by the things we've we've heard and the meetings we've had with this EPA and administration. Uh, but we are getting to that point where the rubber meets the road, and and we're really waiting on some key decisions from EPA and and hopeful that they uh, uh, they go the right direction. Yeah, we have uh, heard promising. Uh words and comments before not and then not seeing the action to follow them up yeah you know uh, on the rfs yeah congress passed it but they left so many loopholes and gray areas in in certain areas that the administrations of both parties have taken advantage of those to uh you know keep it from being fully implemented as intended so it has been frustrating we'll see if this administration steps up and uh and fully supports the uh the biofuels industry to meet these goals they keep setting jeff always good to talk with you thank you very much all right thanks for having me mike take care take take care jeff cooper president and ceo of the Renewable Fuels Association. So it's not all bad news, but again, these two rulings ha- are setbacks. There's no other, no other way of looking at it. Uh, not, not complete roadblocks, but something to work around. And again, that Supreme Court ruling, as I said, makes it easier for oil refiners to get out of their RFS obligations. And this appellate ruling on E15 makes it harder for motorists to have a choice at the pump. So it's frustrating. Up next, very good numbers on our meat exports. The latest numbers are out. Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, joins us next. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection. 
which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Adams on Agriculture, conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry. The pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of the topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you a guest important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Troy Bradenkamp, Senior Vice President, Government and Public Affairs for the Renewable Fuels Association. First of all, how do you break down this ruling and pluses, minuses from a biofuels perspective? What's your analysis? We're obviously disappointed. Uh, You know, the Supreme Court sided against us on, I guess, what we would call a technical issue, the definition of extension. You know, so now it means that a small uh, refinery can apply for an exemption at any time. I think it's important to point out, though, that that it is going to be there's going to be a more stringent threshold to grant those exemptions moving forward, as the other two parts of that Tenth Circuit decision were not challenged by the Supreme Court. So, so there are two very good parts still in place, and we plan to make sure the EPA sticks to those. Um, and and so we were disappointed and a little bit surprised. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on... If I could be you... And you could be me... For just one hour... If you could find a way... To get inside... Each other's mind... Walk a mile in my shoes... Walk a mile in my shoes... Walk a mile in my shoes... We've all felt left out, and for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Shoes. 
Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we have record-breaking numbers for U.S. beef and pork exports from the month of May. Here to tell us about it, Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, good to talk with you again. Great numbers. What's behind them? Yeah, good morning, Mike, and thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, very uh, very exciting, actually. The momentum that we had in March and April continues in May. Um, broad-based growth across the whole spectrum for the most part. Uh, beef set a record, uh, all-time record for the month, a little over $900 million exported uh, globally. But it was a combination of Korea, China, Japan, Taiwan, and, and Mexico. So you had five or six uh, fairly prominent markets that all showed real uh, sustained uh, growth. So uh, that's exciting. And, of course, on the pork side, it wasn't a record, but it was the third largest month ever, so a very respectable month, um, about 284,000 metric tons. And, you know, as expected, this is the same thing we talked about last month, China's down, down about 20%, uh, but we, we saw most of the rest of the world step up and, and offset that. So, you know, the diversification into these other countries, uh, you know, Japan, Korea, uh, Mexico, uh, Central and South America is very important. So, yeah, overall, I'd say uh, we're pretty pleased with uh, with the results in May. Yeah, very impressive. If, if sales to China are down, but overall our numbers are up, that, that speaks volumes about the importance of the diversity of markets. It really does, yes. And, uh, um, you know, the, the, the encouraging thing on China, actually, though, is that uh, – while the numbers were down and we knew they would be on the, on the muscle meats, uh, the, uh, the numbers were up significantly on the variety meats. So when you look at carcass, uh, using the whole carcass, uh, China's still helping us there. And Mexico's another one on the pork side that's uh, stepping up with quite a few variety meats. So, but you're right. Uh, the fact that we're able to see uh, growth uh, spread around the world, uh, this is a healthy situation for everybody. I know you're optimistic for the rest of the year, but a cautionary flag waving is the labor situation, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, uh, with all the the positive news that we've seen the last three months in particular, we're still seeing on the muscle meat side, we're still seeing uh, certain specs and cuts that are demanded in key markets uh, where a lot of the exporters are not able to produce it or not able to produce enough of it. Um, make it, you know, and, and then of course they're going to more of a, a commodity type product, which, which can be sold. But of course it'll be sold at a lower value. So, so yeah, the labor's still a challenge, and it's not only in the packing plants; it's through the whole supply chain. Um, you look, we still have the issues with the ports, the congestion in the uh, 
in the port side of things, uh, not only in the U.S. on the West Coast, uh, but but also in in some of the Asian ports, we're seeing uh, congestion build up. So, uh, and some of that is labor related as well. So, yeah, that that continues to be a challenge. And then, of course, the, the third thing I'd like to mention that continues to be a challenge, and I I feel like I'm a broken record, but. Uh, these spikes in COVID in some of the foreign markets, um, Japan, Korea, South America, Colombia, we've seen a re-spike. You know, while we may not be dealing with it as much here in the U.S., it's still very much an issue that's popping up and impacting food service in particular in some of these key markets. So those are challenges, but you do expect uh, strong sales uh, the second half of the year, don't you? We do, yes. Uh, we're still forecasting uh, new records in beef and, and, and more than likely a, a new record off of last year's amazing numbers on pork. Um, you know, the, the overall demand is still very, very solid. I mean, there's the demand, um, even at food service, we're seeing e-commerce and delivery platforms continue to boom, even though in-store or in-restaurant dining may be down in some of these key countries. Uh, the the uh, delivery platforms and, and the convenience aspect uh, is, is absolutely booming, a lot like it has been here. So uh, there's a lot of positives out there. If we could get some improvement on some of these headwinds, uh, I think the results could even be that much uh, more impressive. Any one market that you think could hold the most potential of uh, bigger growth this coming uh, second half of this year and into the future? Well, I, I still um, I still think that uh, some of these markets have been suppressed by COVID uh, for for over a year now, um, and I look kind of at Mexico and Central America. We're starting to see them come back with a vengeance, um, and I I think uh, we're still very much in a you know pretty much a very significant if not total lockdown in places like. Uh, uh, on food service in places like Japan and Korea. So I still think these places, when, when we get, and, and vaccine rates are increasing in these foreign countries, they're not as far along as they are in the U.S., but as they catch up, I do think there's going to be a surge uh, with tourism and food service in some of these countries. So the answer to your question is, you know, these countries that are, have been suppressed, like a Japan, like a Korea, uh, like a Mexico, um, Central America, they all hold prospects for some surges in, in growth as the vaccine rates climb uh, globally. So, yeah, uh, there's a lot of reasons to think that uh, there's several countries that could see some growth. So we're still, you know, COVID remains a, a cloud that hangs over all this still, though. We we don't know, right? Uh, we see these spikes come up and we hear about uh, some problem areas. So we have to wait and see how that all plays out. Yeah, it, it's really uh, unprecedented, and uh, it's the same thing we were going through in the U.S. last year, um, uh, but it seems to be lingering a little longer in some of these key countries. Um, part of that has to do with, you know, their, their vaccine supply chain has not uh, turned out to be not nearly as efficient as the U.S. in terms of rolling out. So, yes, uh, I do think, though, this will improve as we see the vac vaccine rates climb. Japan's a great example. Um, they still don't know if they're going to have spectators at the Olympics, and the Olympics start in a month. So that's how uncertain this thing is, um, you know, with COVID, because they're in their fourth wave there. They're, they're doing everything they can to get people vaccinated as quickly as possible, but it's really an unknown to some extent. Dan, always good to talk with you. Thanks for the update. Appreciate it, Mike. Anytime. Thank you. Take care.
Take care. Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. That wraps it up for today. As always, thank you for being with us. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.